We're, we're actually in a third sermon here in a sermon series called Call to Worship. And you know, my, my personal belief is that here at this church, maybe we haven't fully realized it yet, but we are going to be a church that is known for worship and known for the presence of God. And that's where we're headed. That's where God is taking us. And sometimes he does that, uh, you know, even, even when we resist and even when we do quench the spirit and we do these things, God is still lovingly drawing us and saying, this is what I've called you to. Because I'm convinced, and I know even when I'm up here worshiping this morning, it's just as if I, I feel in my heart the love of God, the presence of God, the power of God. And I just begin to envision all of us just like we preached and talked about last week, in one heart and one mind, beginning to sing to the Lord and beginning to give glory to God in such a way that He has no other choice but to invade this place, but to invade us. And sometimes I know we all come from different backgrounds, and it's difficult to come to church on Sunday, especially when you don't know a whole lot of people, and feel like you're one with a group of people. But the more we give ourselves over to God in worship, He begins to bring us together as one and He begins to fill this temple because we collectively as a body of Christ are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are the ones in whom He wants to dwell. You're the house of God. This building isn't the house of God. We are the house of God. And we are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. And the scripture says, if we, as we've mentioned in the past two sermons, that God is actually looking for worshipers. He's in a search for those who will abandon themselves in worship and not worry about the person that's next to them, but just begin to lose themselves in giving praise and worship to God. And he says, that's the person that I'm looking for because in that person I can take up residence and I can change the world. And when we become a church that that understand that, and when we come in here on Sunday, I know sometimes it's like, you you know, and I've always been in church, and sometimes you have to have uh, worship leaders who will prod you, and and you got to be prodded, and everybody got to say, come on, praise the Lord, everybody praise the Lord. But I believe if there would be something that would just begin to, God is going to birth something in our hearts that when we walk in this door, we know that when we come in here together, It happens on the outside, but when we come in here together, there ought to be like a switch that turns on on the inside of us, and we know this is the place where we come together corporately to give God the glory He deserves. Amen? Now listen, I'm going to move on. You know, if if you've not listened to those first two sermons, I'd, I'd... I'd say it would be good to help you get some background and go back and listen to those on, on the podcast or the website or whatever because this is something that I feel in my heart God is so, is so just, just pushing and saying this is where I want you guys to be. I want you guys to become worshipers. But here's one thing that the Lord was speaking to me about this week and I really don't believe that it's possible for us to get where God wants us to go as Christians and as true worshipers until we learn how to navigate through disappointment through loss, through pain, through criticism, and even betrayal. Because in life, we we face some very difficult situations, and we have very hard times, and oftentimes, that is the very time that somehow or another, we are hardened, and our worship becomes very weak, and we turn from God. It takes a special person, a true worshiper, to really begin to worship God in the difficult times, in the times where they don't understand what in the world is going on. And here's the thing. We are literally in a war, right? This life is a war. We We have an enemy that is out 
out against us and trying to defeat us and, and trying to get our soul bound with all sorts of things. And one of the things that he does specifically to Christians is that the Word of God that is planted in our hearts, he will take a week's time or a season in our life and he will begin to cause pain and persecution and criticism and we deal with difficult people, not realizing that that is the exact time that God is calling us into a deeper place of worship so that we can find out who he is in those situations of life and begin to overcome them. Amen? And so God is calling us into this deeper place of worship. He's inviting this. And here's the truth. Worship has to be the posture of my heart in every season in life. uh, Number one, if you have your notes, worshipers, true worshipers, they learn to worship in every season. In every season of life, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm dealing with, I begin to understand who God is and that I have to worship Him in every single circumstance. I'll tell you something about what I've realized in life, though, is what my flesh perceives to be a a crisis, often my inner man will perceive to be an opportunity. What my flesh looks at, everything's going bad, everything's going terrible. i got a million things to complain about. Things are going terrible in life. And in my flesh, I say, this is a crisis, this is overwhelming. God, what are you doing? But in my spirit, all of a sudden, on the inside of me, the spirit inside of me begins to say, no, this is an opportunity for God to do something miraculous in your life, for Him to shape you into the image of God. And this very trial, this very difficult situation that you're going through, ultimately, if we choose to worship, will be turned for God's glory. It's all a setup. Everything is a setup. When Satan thought that he had us defeated, when he had Jesus crucified on the cross, he laughed and said, boys, I finally put it to an end. And it was a setup because ultimately Jesus Christ would raise from the dead on the third day and overcome every scheme and every tactic and even death that Satan threw against us. Because there is nothing ultimately in this life that God will not overcome if we turn it toward worshiping to him. And that's very hard for us to understand sometimes. And, and you know, when we get to heaven, I want, I want you to understand something. Because people misunderstand worship, they think heaven's going to be boring. I'm not even going to address that. That's just foolishness, all right? You can't understand heaven. You can't comprehend what's going to be going on. But one thing that will be happening there is worship. And sometimes we think, well, that'll be boring because I've been to church on Sunday and it's kind of boring. You know, I just sit there and they sing some, some songs and... People are standing around, I'm looking at people, you know. And it seems boring in that sense, but guess what? That's not what worship is, right? Worship is whenever we come into the presence of God, we begin to encounter God for ourselves. And in that presence, there is no greater feeling. Nothing, nothing else is greater in life because that is what you were born for. Now, here's the thing. What's so interesting about what God has given us here on earth is that we have the opportunity here on the earth to worship God in ways that we'll never get to worship Him in heaven. Because in heaven, there is no loss. In heaven, there is no pain. In heaven, nobody's going to criticize me. In heaven, nobody is going to betray me. In heaven, nobody's going to lie about me or gossip about me or post something on Facebook about me. In heaven, everybody's going to love me. In heaven, there is no sickness. In heaven, everything will be restored and everything will be done. But here on earth, we still deal with those things. We deal with difficult people. We deal with hard times. And God is bringing us into a process where we learn to worship Him in every single season of life, no matter what we are going through. And when we do that, we begin to find things out about God here on the earth that nobody else in the world knows. And God reveals Himself to us in a greater way. And we become what it means to be a real Christian. 
Paul was beat. He was, he was shipwrecked. They beat him several times. He lost many friends. He saw friends die. All of these things were going on around him. And he said, this present suffering is just a light affliction. He said, but it's working in us something so far greater, so far more glorious that I worship God anyway because I know He's good in every circumstance. I know He's good in every situation. And even when I don't understand and even when it feels like what's going on in my life is more difficult than I can bear, I still know that God is good, that He's working all things together for my good, and I can choose in this moment to give Him the praise and the glory and the honor that He deserves. And when our heart is postured in that direction God begins to reveal himself to us in ways that we've never known before and look I'm not saying that it's easy it's very difficult what is easy is that when difficult times come we believe the lie of the enemy who loves to say God has done this why did God allow this to happen the the very question that plagues our generation and why so many people are adopting this idea of atheism, even though in their heart they know there's a God, is because they, they, they question, if God is good, why do bad things happen? And that's a tough question. It is a tough question. But what we must understand is that we live in a fallen world. When God created the, the heavens and the earth, He created the earth and He gave man dominion And rather than believing that God is good in every situation, Satan fed man the lie that God is holding out on you. In this situation, God is not good, and you need to believe this lie. You need to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God is not good in this situation in your life. He's holding out on you, and as soon as they believe the lie that God is not good in every situation in life, all of a sudden, sin entered in. Pain entered in, confusion entered in, death entered in. And none of these things were God's design. God did not design us to experience sickness, to experience pain, to experience death, to experience any of these things. These were not His design. And this is exactly why Jesus had to return. Because He saw that we had forfeited our own authority to live in love, to live eternally in life. And Jesus had to come to restore those things. Now in this life, we won't see everything restored. But there is a life to come. And this is the hope that Christians have, that we know that no matter what we go through in this life, this life is only a vapor. And I'm headed to another place that is greater than this life where Jesus will restore all things. He will redeem all things. He will wipe every tear away from my eye. And every single thing that I went through in this life, no matter how difficult, will be full of purpose and full of meaning. And I will will rejoice because in this moment I chose to worship God. I didn't understand, I didn't know, but I chose to worship God anyway. And see, this is what we begin to see throughout the Scripture. For example, David. And there's a couple of good examples, but David in the Scripture, he, he, you know, David lived an interesting life. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper. We talked about how he would wor- he worshiped more than anybody. He danced before the Lord with all of his might. I would love to see people just come up here and dance before the Lord with all of their might. To get so free in God that they don't care if everybody despises them and says they're crazy. He's living this life of worship, but at the same time, he's not perfect. He looked at a good-looking woman over across from his house one day named Bathsheba and saw her bathing. Next thing you know, he's in bad shape. He killed that woman's husband, had him killed on the battlefield, committed adultery with her. She got pregnant, and because of the sin, 
that he had committed, she gives birth to this baby, and this is in 2 Samuel 12. She gives birth to this child, and the child looks like it's going to die. So immediately, David begins to pray, he begins to fast, he begins to seek God, and he's praying and fasting for seven days. And on the seventh day, the child dies, and the servants are afraid to tell him, because they say, if he's been mourning and weeping these seven days, what will he do now that he knows the child has died? And immediately David looks at them and realizes what has happened, that the child has died. Has died. And he, he, he raises up, he takes a shower, he puts on new clothes, and, 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 and put that verse up there. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, uh, he says the first response is he went to the house of God and he worshipped. That was his first response. His first response in probably maybe the most painful season of his life. The prophet of God had come to him and exposed all of his sin. He lost his child. He, he was carrying the weight of everything that had gone wrong in his life. And his first response was to worship God. And the servants come to him and they say, Listen, listen, David, why would you do this now? Why would you worship God now after the child's died? You were mourning while he was alive, and now the child's died, and you chose to worship. Why is that, David? And David in worship had gotten an eternal perspective. In the next verse, it, sa it says that he said, that's that boy, he said, he said, I won't. He said, he can't come to me, but I will go to him. And what he was saying is, in worship, I begin to perceive that this is not the only life that I have. In worship, I begin to perceive that there is an eternity. In worship, I begin to perceive that all those who die are not dead and gone forever, that they've just went to another place, that there's somewhere else that God has prepared for us, and we are down here on this earth, not living for what we can attain in this earth, but living for what we can attain there in eternity. And in worship, we begin to have this perspective. Let me tell you something. When we're disconnected from God in worship, we're only living for the world. We're only living for what we get here. And that's why when we lose things, even if it be financially, we get madder than fire. Let me tell you something. You can't hold on to anything in this world anyway. You can't hold on to your money. You can't hold on to your possessions. You can't hold on to the people around you. There's nothing that you can hold on to in this world. But yet we hold on to it because the truth is our worship and our affection isn't toward that. Our worship and our affection is seated right here on the earth. And God is saying, you need to set your mind on heavenly things. You need to get lost in a place of worship and begin to see things from an eternal perspective. See, Job was the same way. And here's, and here's what I want to say. These two, these two illustrations in the Bible are about actual physical. They lost people in their lives. And that's probably the most difficult thing that we can think about. And we know people that have went through extremely difficult situations. And let me tell you something. When people are hurting and in pain and mourning, our goal is not to go up to them and say, hey, just praise God. Amen. Y'all didn't like that, did you? No, the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn. But for those who are mourning, while we're mourning with them, for those who are mourning, you know, you can cry and worship God. You can hurt and worship God. You cannot understand and worship God. You can be in pain and choose to worship God. It's not about how you feel. It's about the posture of your heart. And Job went through the same thing that David went through, maybe even a little bit worse. But the Bible says that Job was the greatest man in all the east. He feared God. He shunned evil. He had a hedge of protection. Angels were surrounding his home and his children so that Satan could not get in. But one day, there's, there's a little bit of something that happens, and, 
and Satan does get in. And, and Satan gets in, and in a day's time, he's got like 7,000 camels and 3,000 donkeys, and that'd just be like you driving a whole bunch of nice vehicles and having a big house and stuff, you know what I mean? He had it all. He had everything you could want. He had seven sons and three daughters, ten children total. And in one day, all of his stuff was burnt down, taken away from him, stolen. And in one day, a ho- the house collapsed on his children, and all of his children were taken from him. And in chapter 1, verse 20, here is Job's first response after this happens. What's it say up there? It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. That's shocking to me. Because, because I think, you know, when these things... I, I, this challenges me. As I'm reading this and as the Lord has challenged me, I'm thinking, Lord, I cannot imagine going through some of these things. And somehow, in his heart, his first response being worship. I prayed this week. I said, Lord, I don't know what this life holds for me, but I know that every single one of us are going to have some difficult situations. People are probably going to betray me. I'm going to lose people. Things are going to hurt. I know that there's going to be pain in this life, but God, would you do something in my heart that I will learn how to worship you in every season of life, no matter how difficult it becomes? That my first response will be worship like this. And it says, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips nor charge God foolishly. And do you know that that's very important? Because here's what the scripture says about Satan, about the spirit of the world. It says that Satan not only blasphemes God, but he blasphemes his character. And not only does he blaspheme his his character, but he blasphemes his dwelling place. That means that the voice in your mind when bad things happen is, can you believe God did this to you? And not only did God do this to you, God's not very good because if he was good, you wouldn't be going through this right now. And he's blaspheming God. And he's blaspheming God's character. He's blaspheming God's love for you. And you hear that voice. Anybody ever heard that voice? Because Satan's favorite thing to do is to cause evil, to cause pain, to cause abuse, to cause whatever he can cause. And then once he has done that, say, God has done this. That's his favorite thing to do. So that he can begin to turn our heart against God. And so many times the pain in our life is actually the access that the powers of darkness get into our life. And it's a horrible thing. Because in in difficult times, we can either choose to grow bitter or worship God, to grow cold, or pour our hearts out to God. Tell Him about the pain we feel. Invite Him into those situations. You know, there's some of you all, you have experienced ex- intense pain in your life, and you've never invited God into that situation yet. Because it hurts so bad, you don't want to open it up to God. You don't want to pour your soul out before the Lord. You don't want to share with Him. how you, He's not afraid of how you feel. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of the struggles that you've had with it. But you have to come to a place where you say, God, there was a time when this happened and it, was so, it hurt me so badly that there's a wall in my heart. And I need you to come in and break that down because I need healing in my heart. And for Job, he experienced that healing. Job and all of his friends, they get together and Job's got some good theological buddies and they come down and they're all trying to figure out how come this happened. Job, you must have did something wrong. You must. But the Bible says clearly that Job was a righteous man. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing to deserve it. Here's the, here's the mystery of this world is that good people and bad people alike will suffer harm and good people and bad people alike will both enjoy some sort of blessing in this world. Time and chance happens to all men. But eternity is a different story because every single one of us will have to give an account for the deeds that we've done in this body. And there is coming a reckoning in that sense. But Job says to God, he says, 
He says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Because there are some things in God, even though He didn't design you to go through this difficult time, He can always reveal Himself in a greater way to you if you choose to respond and worship in those difficult times. And Job said, look, God, I knew you all before. I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And when, God chose, and when Job finally chose to worship God, and not only that, pray for his buddies who had wrongfully accused him. You ever had anybody wrongfully accuse you? He prayed for them, and when he prayed for his friends, says God turned the captivity of Job, and he restored to him double everything that he had lost. And, you know, I asked the Lord this question one time. I said, Lord, now that, you know, I mean, I know you restored double to him. He got more camels. He got more donkeys. He had ten more children. But still, Lord, I just don't feel like that replaces the ten children that he lost. That just doesn't. And not only that, how come you just gave him ten children? Why didn't you give him twenty? Because you doubled everything else. And I just heard the Lord speak really loudly into my spirit. And he said, no, you don't understand. He didn't really lose the first ten children. They just went somewhere else. He never lost them. He never lost the first ten children. But it takes that worship to get into a perspective where you realize that, look, you're going to go through pain. It's going to hurt when you lose things. It's going to be difficult. You're going to go through some time of weeping and difficult situations. But at the end of the day, we can realize that what, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means is that everything we have lost, every pain that we've went through is with full meaning. It's got purpose behind it. There's something behind it. And even though God didn't cause it, there is something working. And every single thing that went wrong, that went bad in this world, one day when we see Jesus face to face, we will be able to rejoice that we did go through it. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how that plays out. But the resurrection of Jesus means that every single thing that has gone bad will one day be made right. Every single thing that has gone bad will one day be made right. And it will cause us to worship. It will cause us to see and proclaim that God is good and He's faithful in every situation. And even though we've seen evil and we've seen darkness everywhere, God is still good and He's always going to be faithful to us no matter what. The second thing is that praise and worship. See, because in every season of life, you ever just get weak? You ever just think? I've heard people say even when it comes to going to church, they just say, I just don't know if I can take it any longer. I just don't know if I can hang on or go any further in this. I just don't know if I can make it. And because when difficult seasons happen in life, we begin to worship. We, most of the time we all worship based on how we feel. Because Sunday morning you're just still kind of tired and a little bit lethargic. You know, you've had a tough week. You come in and you're just like, yeah, praise the Lord. You know, you, you worship based on how you feel, don't you? And so if I'm struggling with something, if I'm anxious, it's so hard for me to clear my mind long enough to come into a place of worship and begin to sing praise unto God because things don't feel good right now. So it's going to be hard for me to say and proclaim that God is good and smile and dance when things don't feel good. But that's why we have to begin to understand that praise and worship is the key to supernatural strength. Praise and worship is the key to supernatural strength. And what I'm saying is, you know, the Bible says it like this. I love what James says. He sa and this is one of the worst verses in the Bible, but it's still really good. He says, count it all joy when you fall into difficult situations. 
When bad things happen, count it joy. Just begin to rejoice knowing that the testing of your faith is producing patience and perseverance in you and it's giving you an opportunity to receive wisdom from God to reveal God's glory to the world around you in difficult situations. People are going to look at your life and say, how come that person went through that? I don't understand what they're dealing with, but how come that person went through that? And I know they're broken, I know they're shattered, but they still worship God. Amen. Y'all ever felt that way? Praise and worship is the key to supernatural strength. Psalms 8 says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Now Jesus, you know, he, he misquotes the Bible a lot, Jesus does, right? He really doesn't. He's the Word of God. He never misquotes the Bible. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out why in Psalm 8 it says, you, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. And then in Matthew 21, put that up. Jesus quotes this verse to a bunch of religious Pharisees and stuff. And he says, have you never read? And he's referring to Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Jesus is giving us a key. And what he's saying is, the ordained supernatural strength of God is released in your life through perfect praise. And perfect praise is not that you praise God perfectly. It's that in every situation in life, no matter what comes or goes, you have chosen to give God praise in every single situation. And it releases the supernatural strength of God in your life. See, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, when he said that, do you know that he had been anointed king of Israel, but Saul was chasing him down, throwing spears at him, had the armies of Israel chasing him into a cave. He had left his family. Everybody in Israel was talking bad about him. He's hiding out in a cave. He looks for refuge, and he goes to one king, and he realizes this king's going to kill me too. So he started acting crazy and foaming out of the mouth just so he could get away from him. He's going through a difficult time, and in Psalm 34, the first thing he says when he's in that time is he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth because I know that God's going to bring me out of this. I know that he's going to do something. And he knew that the key to getting through these situations was to give God praise in the midst of them, that there was supernatural strength. Now, Psalm 84 says it like this. Psalm 84 in verse I'm going to read verse 6 specifically. Now, this is, a, this is a psalm of praise. It talks about how lovely is the tabernacle of God, how lovely is His dwelling place. And he, he talks about how even the birds come and lay their eggs down at the altar of God. We talked about how praise and the presence of God is a place where we, we have new birth, right? And then he goes on and he's saying all these things about praising and worshiping God in the tabernacle. And it comes to verse 6. And here's what it says, that these people... As they pass through the valley of Baca, literally it's the valley of... Baca means weeping. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. So here's the thing. You're going to go through some valleys. You're going to go through some weeping. You're going to go through some testing times. But we have the choice. He says, these people who know about the presence of God in the sanctuary, these people who know about the goodness of God, these people who have chosen to give God worship and give God praise, they go through the valley of weeping and they make it a spring. That you have an opportunity and a choice in your life, no matter what you're going through, in dry seasons in your life, to praise God until something begins to overflow. Amen? 
And that's difficult for us to understand, but I, pro- I cannot tell you. You know, me and my wife talk about this a lot. Some, some mornings, you ever just wake up one morning, you just kind of feel oppressed, you feel depressed, you feel like crazy thoughts are going on in your mind, all of these things. I can promise you, when I feel that, I begin to sense that I'm going through some kind of a spiritual attack. I've got negative thoughts. I'm, I may even be thinking negatively about a particular person. Maybe some, somebody said something to me, and I can't get it off my mind. Maybe something ba- some, something's not going right in my life. You know, and, and, and while I'm speaking about that, you know, Jesus, it was so big about Jesus for worship. He said, look, if you're going to come to the altar and, and worship, he says, and you realize that your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, he says, leave your gift at the altar, go and make things right, and then come back and worship. Because you can't offer a pure sacrifice of worship and your heart not be right with God and others. And so Jesus says that. And sometimes I'm dealing with things like this, whatever it may be, depression, fear, fear, anxiety about what's going to happen in the future, not having enough, something like that, right? I'm dealing with something like that. And, and I will literally go to a room in the house or I'll be driving down the road, whatever I will be doing, and I will begin to sing praises to God. And as I'm singing out, I'm talking about out loud. I ain't like just listening to music. I am praising God. I'm worshiping God because I'm recognizing that I have an unclean spirit that is attacking me and trying to get me to believe a lie that is contrary to what God wants for my life. And I begin to make declarations about the goodness of God, about how God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I begin to forgive the people that have hurt me. And I begin to release them. And sometimes I will release them and pray for them in song. And before long, when I'm giving God praise, all of a sudden I feel that thing lift lift up off of me and a spring of joy begin to overflow and love begin to overflow. Why? Because in the midst of that difficult situation, I chose to give God praise until joy began to overflow, until strength came back into me. And I'm not kidding. You try that and see if it doesn't work. Try it and see if it doesn't work. You have perfected praise. You've ordained strength. We have the responsibility and the privilege to give God worship. Now, in verse 7, it says when they do that, look what it says. It says they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. He's saying when you choose to do that in difficult situations, God is setting you up to go into new levels of strength, new levels of anointing. Donald says that all the time. The anointing will cost you something. To get to a place where God wants to use you, you're going to have to go through some difficult times and go from strength to strength. Because difficult situations, they will either crush you, like they say, it'll either make you bitter or make you better. They'll either crush you or or you'll turn to God in that situation and He will take you to a new level of strength and a new level of power. You know, the thing is, in the midst of these, you know, happiness is circumstantial. People say, I just want to be happy. Here in America, we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But see, the problem with happiness is, is it's circumstantial. It's based on what's going on in my life. It's based on if I'm getting what I wanted when I wanted it. It's based on if everything's working out right, if everybody's treating me good. That's what happiness is based on. Joy is something that comes from the inside, and it's not based on circumstance. Because the scripture talks about how, look, all of the men who wrote this Bible for us and gave it so that I could preach it to us this morning, all of the men who wrote that book were persecuted, were beaten, and ultimately put to death for their faith. They saw their friends die. They saw their friends crucified. They saw their spouses killed and murdered. They would be beaten sometimes, and it says they would go out of that place with joy. 
Is that not the weirdest thing in the world? Like, I read that in the Bible one day. I said, hold on, they just got beat and they left with joy. Doesn't make much sense to me. Because joy is not based on circumstance. Joy is based on the fact that no matter what I go through in this life, ultimately I have the victory in God. And I know that God has prepared a place for me. And I'm going to a place where I will eternally dwell and enjoy the goodness and the power and the glory of God in that situation. And therefore I've got joy. They spoke about a joy that was unspeakable and full of glory. It was unspeakable. They couldn't even tell you why they had such joy. But they knew God. They knew who He was in their situation. And they were able to give Him worship in the midst of it. Number three, because when you go in, in, into these difficult situations as well, you know one of the things that you need is wisdom. And praise and worship receives God's wisdom. You know what wisdom is? It's the ability to be in any situation in life and by the Spirit of God, be able to analyze that situation and see it from God's perspective, not your perspective, not what's hurting you, but see it from God's perspective, see people for what they are, and respond according to God's will. That's why on the cross, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, He could respond by saying, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Wisdom allowed Him to see from God's perspective that these men had no idea what they were doing. And He was able to love them and He was able to forgive them. But praise and worship receives God's wisdom. And here's the thing, Jesus is all wisdom and He lives on the inside of you. So how do I unlock this wisdom? How do I release this wisdom? Here's something that's so interesting in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 4 Verse 29 through 31. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. And then listen to this. It says, Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Haman and Chalcol and Darda. These are great names again. The sons of Mahal, which literally means the sons of the dance, and his fame was all the and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Now, why does the Holy Spirit say that he was wiser than these men? Guess what all these men were? They were worship leaders. They were worship leaders. They were the people that were in the tabernacle of God with David who played music, who sang worship constantly. And what people began to realize it was that in the presence of God that these men received the wisdom of God. And you know that there's wisdom of God for every situation, in your job, in your family, in your home, in every situation, God has wisdom for you, but you have to enter the presence of God for His wisdom and His insight to rub off on you. Does that make good sense? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Jesus translates the fear of the Lord into worship. So he's, he's basically saying, when you worship the Lord and you have a hunger for His presence, that's the beginning of wisdom. What, I, and what I'm, what I'm going to argue for is that we have the opportunity every Sunday to come in here and worship God and enter into His presence. And many of you dealing with difficult situations, what you're going to activate is the gifts of the Spirit in this place. You're going to get insight from God. You're going to hear from God. People are going to have prophetic words. There's going to be things going on. Why? Because we're going to activate the wisdom of God in worship because His presence comes in. Even last week, when we finally entered into that place of worship and praise, all of a sudden you saw God begin to move. And people heard from the Lord. They got words from God. They got wisdom from God. 
And that wisdom begins to flow in the presence of God. So whenever I have challenging situations, I'm going into a certain situation. Ephesians 5.15 says it like this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly or very carefully. This is in, in the life that you live. Not as fools, but as wise. Right? Next verse says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days that we live in are evil. I don't know if you realize that or not. And God is saying you need to walk with wisdom. Don't be unwise. Redeem the time. Make the best use of your time. It's very important. That's what he's saying. And then the next verse says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You ever ask yourself in certain situations, I just don't know what the will of God is in this situation. Well, he's getting ready to unlock a key for us to understand it. Next verse. It says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Let me stop there for a minute. You know why people get drunk? You know why people get intoxicated? Because they're desperately seeking what only the Holy Spirit can give them. They're desperately speak, seeking what only being filled with the Holy Spirit can give them. And if they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, it was when I got filled with the Holy Spirit that I no longer wanted alcohol or drugs. Before that, I craved it. But after, it was gone. So he says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That is a command. It's a command. It is a passive imperative command. What that means is, is that he's saying, you are commanded to always be, be filled with... You love that, don't you, Donald? But what he's saying is, he's saying you are commanded to always be filled with the Spirit, but it's not you filling yourself, it's me filling you as you do something. So he's saying you're going to be filled with the Spirit, which is going to unlock the will of the Lord, it's going to unlock the wisdom of God in every situation. And then he says, as you do this, comma, next verse. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You need to begin to come in here and even in your daily life begin to listen to music. Look, you understand how powerful music is? God created music. And the devil stole it and used it and put some filthy lyrics in music and got everybody to worship the world. Because he understood the power of it. Music has power. David would come in and play music for Saul whenever Saul had a distress. You ever had a distressing spirit on you? You'd be anxious and fearful. David would come in and play anointed worship music and that unclean spirit would be driven out from him. A lot of times we listen to music that actually attracts unclean spirits. Can I get an amen? He says, you're going to be filled with the spirit as you begin to sing to the Lord. Now, again, I'll say once again, it's one thing to come in here and read lyrics off of a board. It's another thing to begin to sing to the Lord. And as I get lost more and more in worship, and I'm lifting my hands, and I'm singing no longer for you or because it's on the board, but I'm singing this thing to God, all of a sudden I'm being filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit is overflowing in my life. And while I'm worshiping, I am receiving the wisdom of God, and I will leave the presence of God knowing what to do in situations. Having new insight, understanding what the will of the Lord is because I chose to sing and make melody in my heart to the Lord. You can go throughout your day just singing, worship, worship to the Lord. Some of you all just need to take a challenge. Look, I'm not against all music. Some music is demonic. You need to throw it out. But not all music is bad, whether it be secular or not. But I would... Get, I, I would ask you to take a challenge. Listen to worship music for a season in your life only and see what that does for your heart. See what that does for your mind. See what happens. See the insight, the peace that you start to walk in and what's going on. 
Next verse, is there, do I got more up there? It says, now, here, here's what happens after I begin to be filled with the Spirit. I'm giving thanks always for all things. You know the devil hates you to be thankful, to be thankful for your pastor, to be thankful for this church, to be thankful for the job that you have, to be thankful for the family and the friends that you have. He wants us to be always discontent, always complaining. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we begin to become thankful for all the things that God has given us. And we give Him, we give him thanks for all things. And then the next verse says, do I got the next one up there? I probably don't. But what the next verse begins to talk about is how husbands and wives submit themselves to one another. Children obey their parents. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, things will begin to align in your relationships. Don't tell me, this is going to be a harsh word, so let me prep you for it. Let me step back too. Don't tell me that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because you're shouting or singing or whatever you're doing, but yet you're mistreating your family and things are not going well in your relationships and you're holding grudges against one another, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're just singing songs. But songs is a key to that, right? In the, in the home, we begin to allow God's presence to invade and all of a sudden something begins to happen on the inside of us and God begins to bring insight and direction and we begin to understand what the will of the Lord is. God's, because here's the thing. In difficult situations, we need the wisdom of God. Amen? Wisdom is the principal thing, the Bible says. It's the supreme thing. We need it. We need God's wisdom. And so here's my last thing. I'm going to finish here. The last thing that worship is, is worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. Now, in the, in the New Testament, we find out that our warfare, what we're battling is actually not people. No matter how, you ever dealt with crazy people? I've dealt with some crazy people. Mean people. Angry people. But the scripture says that our warfare is not against these people. It's against demonic forces. It's against spiritual forces. It's against the unseen realm of unclean spirits. And this begins to give us a key of Old Testament interpretation. Because when we read the Old Testament, you see Israel going to war all the time, right? And they're going to war against enemies. And for us, an accurate interpretation would not be to see that these people are killing a bunch of humans all over the place. It would be to understand that there are demonic forces that are trying to, to completely obliterate the people of God off the face of the earth. This is why Israel's had such a hard time. Satan's always been out to kill them. That's why, that's why, you, see, that's why you see the Holocaust where 10 million Jews were killed in Germany. Imagine that. Why? Because Satan's always been trying to kill them. He's been trying to wipe out the promise of God off of the earth. He does not want Israel to be a nation because Jesus will return to Israel and put his feet in the valley of Megiddo in the last days whenever he comes to restore all things. So he's against that. But this is the warfare that's going on is between the spirits. And, and so here, here's what you need to understand about the devil, though, is that the devil and all, every unclean spirit that you battle has already been defeated. Jesus Christ has already won the victory and they have already been defeated. So when I worship, I'm not worshiping for victory. I'm worshiping from the victory of Jesus Christ. And as I worship and as I begin to lift up the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, demons tremble. They hate to hear you open your mouth and begin to lift up Jesus' name and magnify Him. And all of a sudden, when you begin to magnify Him, that spirit of fear that's been binding you, that sickness, that disease, that pain, everything in your life, that, that grudge, it begins to lift and to break because they cannot stand worship and they cannot stand 
stand in the presence of worship. And when you worship, you remind them of the victory that Jesus won over them on the cross and you are engaging in warfare. Now here's the thing, we don't worship to enact warfare, we worship God because He's God. It just so happens that as we worship, He begins to defeat our enemies. Let me give you this last example. You guys can come to the music. I'm going to finish right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, here's what's going on. Jehoshaphat is, is the king of Judah. He's the king of Judah and Moab and Ammon and all of these armies are coming out against them. You ever felt that way? You, have you ever felt like, like you just got armies in the spiritual realm out against you? They're just call, trying to cause everything to go bad, nothing to work right. You got all these enemies out against you. Nothing is going well. You ever felt that way? Nobody in here, praise God. Nobody in here has ever felt that way. They got all of these armies coming out against them. And Jehoshaphat, the Bible says he feared, he was afraid, and he began to pray and fast and seek the Lord. And he gathers everybody together and he starts to pray out loud. And he prays this big prayer and he says, Lord, I don't know what's going on. You promised us this was going to happen. You promised us that was going to happen. You, you promised us these, that, that you were going to take care of us. And now they're out to kill us and we can't, we can't do anything. He says in verse 12, he says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming out against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. If you're in a situation right now and you have no clue what to do, good. You're in a good position for God to begin to do something in your life. He says, we don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are upon you. And immediately after that, they gather together and they're praying. And as they begin to pray, as they begin to worship the Lord, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes on, on Jehaziel. And what I'm telling you is that there, there's so much that God wants to do. God wants to heal in here. He wants to deliver in here. But the Spirit of the Lord needs to come on some people to move. And sometimes we hinder the move of God, the work of God, the healing of God, the, the, what God wants to say to people because we won't enter into that place of worship so that the Spirit of the Lord can begin to move on people. And they, they, they entered into that worship and the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. And here's what he begins to say. He begins to prophesy. See, some of you need a word from the Lord. And here's what Jehaziel says in the midst of the worst battle that they've ever faced in this place. And he says in, in verse 15, he said, Listen, all of you, you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. This battle that you're going through, it's not yours, it's God's. And then he says in verse 17, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, you're not even going to need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. In the Hebrew, that word salvation is Yeshua. That's Jesus' name. What he's saying is... You don't need to fight this battle. What you need to do is position yourselves, stand still, and see Jesus. That's what worship is. Worship is the place where we come and we stand still and we begin to behold Jesus. We begin to glorify Jesus. He says, if you want to fight, you need to worship Jesus. You need to see what He's done for you on the cross. You need to see that He has defeated all of your enemies. You need to see that He has purchased eternity for you that He has eternal life, that He's going to restore all things, that He's going to wipe every tear away from your eyes. Then Jehoshaphat, he begins to speak, and 
He says, listen, guys, we need to believe God and we're going to be established. We need to believe what God is saying. We're going to be established. Then he says, we need to believe God's prophets and we're going to increase. And so they're setting everything up together. They're going out into this battle against this army that's way bigger than they are. And in verse 20, they, they begin to set these, these people up. And in verse 21, it says, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying. So they're going out before this army. They send trumpeters, musicians, and singers out first. They ain't got no guns. They ain't got no spears. They have no weapons. All they got is musicians and their voice. And they're going out against men with weapons. And they begin to sing out loud, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. And listen to what it says in verse 22. When they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. As they begin to sing and praise the Lord and worship God, God set ambushments up around their enemies and every single one of those enemies were defeated not by the sword, not by a gun fired, but because the people of God begin to praise and worship. I'm going to tell you something. Even in this country, in this nation, in our community, there are so many things that we want to get involved in the political realm. We want to get involved in this realm. We want to go picket stuff. We want to go argue with people about what's right and what's wrong. And if we would just begin to worship God strong Strongholds would begin to fall down. Things would begin to break in our nation. We wouldn't even have to say a word. We'd just lift up our voice to Jesus. I'm not saying there's not a place for wisdom in all of those realms. But you better go with the wisdom that you get from the presence of God. And not in your own personal wisdom. Not in the wisdom that this world gives you. Because it won't last. But there are enemies that every single one of us are facing. And I believe if we would begin to praise God, we're going to see the Lord begin to set ambushments up around all of these enemies. And it says that every single one of them fell. And when they went into that territory, they began to collect the spoils from that. And they were three days in collecting the spoils. And the riches that they received were so great that they called that place the Valley of Blessing. Stand to your feet. Now, here's here's what I'm going to say. This is conditional. What God wants to do in your life right now is conditional. And it's based on the fact of whether or not in the battle, in the heat of the battle, will you choose to begin to praise God and to worship Him? Will you set it in your heart that, listen, I'm going to become a worshiper, God. I'm not going to care what anybody thinks. Whenever I come to church, I'm going to begin to lift my hands. I'm going to sing to you like nobody else is in the room. And I'm going to join in with my brothers and sisters. And we're going to come together in one voice. We're going to sing. We're going to worship you. And God, we're not doing it for you to defeat our enemies. But we know that when we lift up and glorify your name, you bring salvation. You bring healing. You bring deliverance. And our enemies are going to be defeated because they already have been on the cross. They already have been. And so we have an opportunity. It is a call to worship. God is calling us to worship. He's calling us to be a people who praise. And I really feel, you know, there are people here right now that you've not had real joy in a long time. You've been through some difficult situations. You know the Bible says to shout for joy. It doesn't say shout because you have joy. It says shout for joy. Sometimes... When you're depressed, when things aren't going well, you just need to begin to shout and praise God until joy comes. Until joy begins to rise up in your heart. 